Amen. Amen. What a treat it was today, isn't it, uh, to have these ladies to sing for us? And then you had to have me there for a little bit, right? We uh, started into our into the Lenten season uh, Wednesday, and we had a wonderful service with the uh, ashes. And uh, you know, so in in thinking about that and, and where we are, um, the Lenten season is the forty days prior to Easter. And what we do is, is that in this particular season, we use this as an opportunity and a time to prepare ourselves for the resurrection Savior on Easter Sunday morning. But we also need to prepare ourselves for the coming of our Messiah. So we look at this and we enter into this particular time and normally you would be asked to give something up and hopefully you have thought through that process and you have sacrificed something but in the midst of the sacrifice we are supposed to be doing what? Uh, you know, So whenever you're not doing what you're giving up you're supposed to be thinking and praying and talking to God. So in other words, if you have given up TV, whenever you're normally watching TV, you were sitting there and you were praying and you were talking to God and you were preparing yourself for the coming of the Messiah. In our walk and in our relationship, we do these things because we... Are supposed to grow in Christ. And that brings me to the message and through this morning, uh, you know, for the next six Sundays, this Sunday and six following Sundays, we are going to be in the Gospel of John. So go ahead and prepare yourselves throughout your reading that you are going to have for these 40 days, if you want it to be. But at least for every Sunday for the next six weeks after this one here, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. And we're going to be dealing with the seven I am statements that John presents to us. And whenever John presents these seven I am statements, these are seven statements that Jesus Christ made so that we can know who he is. The first thing that we look at, and I need you to look here, I'm going to go ahead, I'll go to this slide here, uh, you know, because in this, we have the words that says, I am the true vine. But let's deal with the first two to begin with, because the first time that we see this name, I am, is where? It's in the desert whenever Moses is talking to, Jesus, you know, talking to God in the burning bush. And Moses says, who do I tell them that you are? And he says, I am who I am. So Jesus is pulling himself and letting us know that he is the same God that was in the burning bush. 
He is the same God that the Israelites that have been that they have been worshiping all of this time. But in this first statement that we have, I am the true vine, we will find that he does even more than that. So go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John in verse in chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. As you're turning there from 1 through 11, I want you to kind of understand, this is, we're, it, we're going not actually backwards, but we're starting off with the last I am statement that Jesus made. Now this I am statement that Jesus makes in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John is right after the Passover meal that Jesus had, uh, you know, had celebrated with the disciples in the upper room. Now if you can imagine or if you can picture where we are, okay, so here we are, we're in, uh, you know, in this upper room, and Jesus leaves the upper room, and from the upper room, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, right? To get to the Garden of Gethsemane, he has to walk past the valley, or he has to walk past the Mount of Olives, and kind of in the Kindred Valley, and then he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane. Before he gets there, they would have seen the temple. They would have seen the holy temple. So let's get into the passage of Scripture. It begins here and it says, it says, I am. Yes, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given to you. So let's stop right here because right there in that verse right there, in verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given to you. Jesus is specifically, I'm sorry, Jesus is specifically talking to the disciples in this passage. And he tells the disciples that you have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given to you. What is the message that Jesus has given to the disciples? Jesus has given the message to the disciples that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and he is the Redeemer of the whole world. That is the message that he has given to them, and they have received this. Therefore, we could say that the disciples are Christians. They have received Jesus Christ and his message as their Lord and Savior. They don't really understand all of it until it gets to after his death and to his resurrection. But they have received this and God has be already begun the pruning process so that they would be able to produce more fruit. They've already gone out. They've already witnessed and they've preached to many people. You remember whenever Jesus sent out the 72 They've preached the message. They have baptized people. 
Jesus had to leave one area because his disciples were baptizing more people than John the Baptist did. So we know that they were preaching the message and they were speaking God's word. These words that we have here are for believers. We must believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior before we can ever think that we would be part of the true vine. We have to be. We have to believe in Him. He is the true vine. In verse 4, it says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For, you. for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce fruit. For apart from, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciple. This brings great glory to my Father. Verse 9, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I obeyed my Father's command, commands, I remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Wow. Man, that is, that is some... That is some powerful words that we see that is there. So, I am the true vine. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus is dealing here with his relationship with them. This morning, this passage of Scripture is dealing with our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's some things in here that we must see and that we need to see. And I'm going to back up a little bit and I want to give you a little illustration that can kind of help you with what I was talking about and why it was important that they passed by the temple. The passage of scripture that I read for you this morning in Psalms chapter eight in Psalms chapter eighty talked about being uh, you know about the vine that was uprooted and that was grafted into the land. This is David talking about the Israelites going to the promised land. 
So whenever he's talking about the Israelites going to the promised land, therein the words say that God had already cleared the land. They were going into this land where these pagan nations were. God had already cleared the land for this vine to be planted. And whenever the vine was planted, it was supposed to take deep root. And then it was supposed to cover the mountainside. It was supposed to cover the whole landscape of where the promise or the promised land of God. So we see this, that from the beginning of the history of the Israelites, they, their symbol was a vine. Just like the United States symbol is the eagle. So you go and you see they walk by the temple. They have even decorated the temple walls in the entrance of the temple. They have literally taken gold and they have molded it together. And they had made a vine that stretched all the way from the bottom on one side, went all the way up one column, went across the front of it and down the other side so that everyone would know that the people that worshipped here was a part of the vine and the part Part of the vine was the Israelites that God had established way before they even went into the promised land with Canaan. Now, if you're struggling with that, let's go to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And it says, I will, see, I will sing for, is that right? I will sing, I will sing for one, uh, for the one I love. A song about a vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hillside. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it in the best, or planted it with the best vine. There again, Isaiah is talking about the promised land. Isaiah is foretelling what the Israelites are supposed to do in the promised land. They are supposed to be the true vine. Here, I forgot, I didn't read all of it. In the middle, he, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest, for sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. The Israelites did not do what they were supposed to do. The good grapes that he planted did not or were not good grapes. They were sour. They were disobedient. So we still find here that they're talking about that. The Israelites being a vine. Business Week magazine each year puts out a magazine with the top global logos. These are just logos that would basically tell us that if you saw this, you would know exactly what company it was, right? Number one would be what? Give me a guess. What, who you, what would you guess would be the number one logo that everyone would know what it was? 
Apple. Apple's number one. Apple's number one. Following, closely following Apple would be Google. You got that? You remember? It's like, it's like oh, yeah, I got it. I said Google. Okay. Amazon. The box with a little smile on it. Yeah. They're sending dreams. Microsoft. You got that one? Hmm. Coca-Cola. Pretty easy, right? Can you believe that Walmart is number four? Walmart's symbol is number four. McDonald's and Disney round out the top ten. Can I tell you that they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on those logos? He tells us in this passage of Scripture here, he says, I am the true vine. It's not, I am a vine, I am one of the vines. He says, I am the true vine. Whenever he says this, what he does is, is that he has taken this away from the Israelite people. He says, the Israelite people are not the true vine. The people that are worshiping and doing things behind these doors, they are not the true vine. Because they're the ones that Isaiah talked about that were bad grapes. God says, they are not the true vine. I am. And you need to follow me. Do not get mixed up in them. So let me take it here. Do not. Please do not get grafted to the Nazarene denomination. That is not the true vine. Do not get grafted into the Baptist you know, branch. That is not the true God. Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine. You need to be grafted into him, into his word. He says, I have stood up and I have proven who I am. You can trust this vine. It's not going to blow out. It's not going to lead you astray. It's not going to produce anything that's bad. He says that you cannot produce anything without him. Now, I don't want to dispute Scripture but if you're not grafted into the vine and you're not grafting good things, you are, you're not producing good things, you're grafted into the world and you're producing bad things. You're producing nothing but Satan. Uh, you know, Jesus told the Pharisees and the Sadducees that your father is the father of lies. You were no longer worshiping the true father, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have left him. And because of that, you're going to die. You've got to be grafted into the true vine. God does not want us running around here professing to be a Christian and not. 
being a Christian. He does not want us to be wandering around this community talking about Rock Hill First Church in the Nazarene if we are not truly living the life that He has called us to live. If we're not truly grafted into the true vine, don't be talking about being a Christian. God will take care of you if you are. I need to get back on to the message. I just thought we needed to know that. Because the world spends a lot of money dealing with who they are. And can I tell you, there's a lot of preachers that have done a lot of damage to the true vine. There's a lot of Christians that have done a lot of damage to the true vine. We need to make sure that we're grafted into the true vine. But then the thing about it is, is that whenever we're grafted into the true vine, it tells us that whenever we're grafted into that vine, there's two things that happen to us. Uh, you know, number one, we begin to produce fruit. And number two, we, be, we, we begin to be pruned. So whenever we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are grafted into the vine and we stay within Him. And just like last week we talked about, whenever we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, His Spirit begins to commune with our spirit so that we know exactly what we're supposed to do. So whenever we're grafted into the true vine and we stay in the true vine, we begin to produce fruit because the true vine begins to run through us and what we say and what we do comes from the true vine. It does not come from us. So whenever we begin to do things on our own, God comes up there as the gardener and he cuts it off. God's love and God's mercy will allow us to, to kind of wander off the path for a little bit. Hoping that we come back to Him. But whenever we don't, He has to cut that wasted vine off. And that falls to the ground. Hopefully, he doesn't have to go all the way back and cut us all the way, completely, off of the vine. I know there's a lot of gardeners and stuff that's here. So whenever you're pruning something back, you prune it back so that it doesn't take away from the nourishment of what's actually producing the fruit, right? So in tomatoes, you have tomato bushes and Tomato bushes, they have a, you have a branch and it'll split off. And always in the middle of that split, there's what's called a sucker. And it will start growing. And if you let that grow, then of course your tomato is not going to produce as many tomatoes as it would if you would have clipped that off. Because you were allowing the extra food and stuff that's supposed to be growing the tomatoes is going to grow this vine. Can I tell you that a grapevine is exactly the same way? If you have a grapevine and you just simply let it run wild, it might look nice and pretty. And it's going to have a lot of leaves and it's going to be really full, but it is not going to have a grape on it. Because it has spent all of its energy growing. 
churches can get involved in projects. We can get involved in, you know, um, in things that do not produce fruit. If we continue to allow it to grow, the things that were producing fruit before this came along, they will slow down in their producing of fruit. And they'll slow down in the producing of their fruit because we're putting energy to where God doesn't want it to be. We're allowing something to take that energy away from it. So we have to go back and we have to prune it. So that's why every once in a while for a church, it's good for us to be able to sit back and evaluate the ministries that we have. Are you producing anything? If not, what do we need to do for it to produce? If there's nothing for it to do to produce, we cut it off. We stop it. Uh, you know, can I tell you that's really hard for churches? That's really difficult for pastors. Uh, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, at the other church that I was, uh, you know, that I was, uh, you know, preaching at, not the one that you're thinking about, it was the other one. Uh, you know, we had nine people that went to church on Wednesday nights. Seven of those nine people were the praise and worship team that practiced after the service. Should have we kept Wednesday night services? Most probably not. But as your hard-headed pastor, I'm like, I'm not giving up Wednesday nights. I will preach to the two or to the people that's there. I don't care. Was it worth it? It was for me because I didn't back down. But can I tell you that it might have been better? I might have been able to put more emphasis and more effort into Sunday morning and Sunday night's message if I wouldn't have been there for Wednesday night. I could have been out visiting somebody instead, because you know, I wasn't on, of course I could tell. I wasn't part of the praise and worship team. We don't want to turn loose of them. Because if we turn loose of them, we get this feeling that we lost. That we're defeated. Sometimes we just simply need to listen to God and He says, Hey, that's had its season. You need to move on. Don't be afraid. We're not giving up Sunday nights or Wednesday nights here. Okay, don't be afraid. We're not doing it. We're not giving up Tuesday night prayer meeting. We're just not doing that. But we have to, the thing about this is, is that if we look at it in our lives, what are you doing that's wasting God's energy and God's time in your life? What are you not doing to produce the grapes? Because he says, I'm, I'm not making this up. It's in the passage of Scripture. It says that if you are in me, you will produce fruit. You'll produce fruit. So what is the fruit that it's talking about here? Well, we really have to study to kind of get this. Paul talks about the fruits in Galatians 
In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, I believe it is. And it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, great, or gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Paul teaches that the Holy Spirit gives us these things. That this is part of what the Holy Spirit teaches us. But we can't get too far ahead of ourselves because Jesus is here and Jesus is talking this. Jesus is teaching this. The Holy Spirit's not here. So Jesus wouldn't be talking about something that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to teach later on in Scripture or later on in the church. We have to look and see what Jesus is teaching the disciples. And what Jesus is teaching the disciples is, is that the fruit that you were supposed to be producing is the perfect fruit of salvation. In other words, the life that you live, the people that you talk to, somewhere in your life, somewhere back behind there, there has to be someone that believes in Jesus Christ because of your life and because of what you have said, the gospel that you have preached. Now, we cannot hope that they get it by osmosis. We can't just simply live a good life around them and hope that they get a hold to it. We've got to speak the gospel at some point in time. Whew, man. I'm getting a little hoarse this morning. There has to be fruit. The fruit that he's talking about is that perfect fruit that I said in salvation. There has to be people around us that we influence and that that influence produces fruit, produces other believers that are grafted into the vine. There's a lot of good people in this world that do not believe in Jesus Christ. So we have to do things to make sure, to make sure that people know that we're Christians. There can't be a doubt about it. It's not like, you know, we don't, we don't hope that they know. They need to know. That's one of those things that whenever the church is persecuted, I want to be one of the first ones. I don't want there to be a question about it, that I am a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ, that I have a personal relationship with Him. I don't want there to be a doubt about it. But we continue reading into the passage of Scripture. And that passage of Scripture talks about us remaining in the vine. And if we remain in the vine, then Jesus remains in us. And if, we're in, in, and if Jesus is in us, is in us, then the Father is in us. And if the Father is in us, then we have those fruits that is just talked about there with Paul. So yes, I believe that there is this perfect fruit in salvation that we need to be producing. 
that there are, that there is an influence that we must have on the people that's around us. But I also believe that as our spirit communes with God's spirit, that we get the understanding that we have to have love, peace, patience, kindness. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, that we have to be gentle, that we have to have self-control. By all means, how good do you think your witness is if you have no self-control? Let's say that you have one of your friends with you. You're going down the road. And somebody cuts you off. And you give them the right finger. And you say some words that you most probably shouldn't say. Because you don't have self-control. What's the witness that you've been witnessing to your friend that's in the seat right next to you? What's happened to it? See, self-control. We lose our saltiness. That's a whole nother message. Because whenever we get into this and we look... Uh, you know, let's John, uh, Andrew, let's go to John chapter 14, verse 10. In John chapter 14, verse 10, it says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? And the words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does His work through me. John is telling us, that if we're part of the true vine, if we're grafted into the true vine, then we're in the Father, and the Father is in us. And if the Father's in us, then we do and we say the things that He wants us to do and to say. Because whenever we're dealing with this word, abide this part of that passage of scripture that says abide in the true vine abiding as jesus is more than just simply staying there abiding in jesus is more than just simply enduring because jesus wants us to live this life full of his joy full of great joy and we have that great joy, why? Because we have lived or we have been grafted into that vine and we are living in that vine and that vine is flowing through us and all the things that we do, we do because of the vine that we're grafted into. In other words, it's not my works, but it's God's work. It's not me that you see, but it's God that you see. And once we get there, we then begin to see fruit being produced. And whenever we begin to see fruit being produced in our lives, we can truly experience the joy that God truly has for us in our lives. It is better to give than it is to receive. We are strongest when we give all that we have. Not when we keep it. 
whenever we give and whenever we give and whenever we give, whenever we talk to people and we show people who God is and we talk to them about trusting Him and about His love and about His mercy and all this, we get stronger as we go because God begins to grow in us and we become more and more like the true vine and He begins to produce the fruit and that fruit begins to produce joy. But there's also another word in here that we can't get away from because that other word is obedience. We have to be obedient to God. Whenever we're obedient to God, we can pray for all of these things and God will give us what we pray for, right? I'm trying to go to a blank screen, Andrew. Let's just close this this morning so that that gives me no more distractions. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, says, For all who were led by the Spirit of God, or children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit. And when He adopted you as His own children, you will be called, or He will be called, or we will call Him, Abba, Father, For his spirit joins our spirit to confirm that we are his children. Obedience. We obey his commands. Jesus, in his life on this earth, above all things, showed us Obedience. He obeyed the Father all the way to death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. John Sadler's paraphrase. I don't want to do this. If there's an easier way to accomplish this, let's go the easier way. But if there's no easier way, I'll do it the way that you want me to do it. Obedience. Obedience. God, I don't really want to walk this path that I see right before me. I don't want to go through this struggle that you have. I'd really rather go this way. But not my way, but your way. Give me the strength to be obedient enough to go the way that the Father has for me and not the easier way. As humans, we will always take the easier path. That's just just who we are. In closing, 
I want to ask you this question. Being a believer of Jesus is more than committing to a doctrine. But that's not the question. If there is no obedience in your life, if there's no joy in your life, are you truly connected to the vine? Because we cannot be connected to the vine of Jesus Christ and not obey. It can't be done. If we are connected to the vine and we're living the life that he has truly called us to live, then scripture says that our life is full of joy. That our life is full of joy. So being a follower of Jesus Christ is more than committing to a theology. It's more than just simply a way of life that is separated from the world. Both of those are important for us. But following Jesus... is an intimate connection to Jesus and the Father. It's having a spirit of transformation within our lives. One of the key things that sometimes I think we forget If we're grafted to a grapevine, then we hang out with grapes, right? I actually think that we enjoy hanging out with grapes. I think we find the opportunity to be able to hang out with other grapes. Now, if you happen to like, uh, what is those, uh, musky dimes, and you want to picture this as a musky dime vine, go right ahead. But it has to be the true vine. We hang out with like grapes, with like-minded people. We need to, because when we fall and there's no one around us, it's harder to get up than it is if someone is right there next to us. In close, as Denise and them come up, I want us to make sure that we keep that question in our mind. If there's, if there's no obedience to God in our lives, and there's no joy in our lives, then we really have to question on whether or not we're connected to the true vine.
But also, I want us to think about this, uh, you know, because part of the pruning process is God getting rid of the things of this world that has been in our lives for so long. Some of the things that have been in our lives for so long that, that continue to suck away God's energy, we don't realize that they're even there because we've been doing them for so long. Or there's things that God wants us to do that we don't want to do because we know that it's difficult. We know that it's hard. Jesus, the one that makes all of this possible, did the hardest thing of all. And he gave up his life. Scripture tells us that no one took it from him. He freely gave it up. He gave it up so that we could have a better life. A life that's grafted into the true vine. A life with a relationship with God the Father because of Him. So let's stand this morning. tired of the roller coaster ride this morning the altar is open so that you can get truly connected to the true vine and so that God can look into your heart and into your life and prune away the things that don't need to be there so that you can become stronger in him If you've never been grafted into that true vine, the most important thing that you need to do is realize who the true vine is. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried for three days and rose from the grave, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. you don't truly know him this morning's a good time to know him Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for the message that you have given to us. And Jesus Christ being the true vine. And God, that relationship that he wants to have with us. That intimate relationship that we have. But God, the scripture also talks about a relationship that we have with you through him. 
but then it also talks about a relationship that we're supposed to have with all the other people that's in our lives and how we are supposed to produce fruit, how we are supposed to witness and minister to them. God, I pray, dear Lord, that we would be your hands and feet. God, that whenever we leave from this place today, dear Lord, that you would put people in our path that we would be able to minister to, and God, that they would know that we believe in you as our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise your name. Amen.